2: Hi, Brad. Hey, what's going on, man? Not much. I'm Jonah. This is Brad. And yeah. together, we're going off track. Yeah. Um, we're going way off track. Uh, going off my meds. I feel really weird. <laughs> I can't believe I've never made that joke before. Going off your meds? Yeah, I guess maybe it's not a very sensitive joke. <laughs> okay. I guess uh, I can't for believe some people. I, anyways. Uh, <laughs> so, Brad, so, uh, have you been riding your bike a lot? I have been riding my bike a lot. Yeah?
3: Actually, over the weekend, I rode... Um, I've got this cargo bike, which is...
2: What is a cargo Google bike? It
3: because it's not... It, you see him in New York. You probably don't see him anywhere else outside of Europe, except maybe New York and it's a like cargo. Portland,
2: it's, it's cargo <clears throat> shorts with wheels. Man,
3: <laughs> it's like it's like a cruiser bike, but like the rear is extended really far, and you can put. I mean, comfortably, you could literally put my whole family on it. Really? Yeah. Have yeah. you ever tried that? We haven't tried it, but like there's like a, a long seat on the back that easily fits two kids. I have a friend who has one that. She has three boys, like, ages, like, five to eight, and she'll put them all on the back of it. I saw before we bought the bike, when we were thinking about it, I saw a picture of one in, like, Ireland, and a guy had 10 cases of beer on it.
2: (laughs) And that's what got you to buy it?
3: (laughs) But, um, yeah, they're pretty intense. Anyway, we put the kids on it, and I I drove it over the bridge to Brooklyn.
2: Really? Yeah. Is that fun? Do they like it? Is that fun? Or is yeah, they- they're
3: totally into it. Yeah. I mean, my daughter's like, she's got a bike, you know, but we don't really let her ride it on the street, because she's small. Yeah. You know, seems scary in New York. Yeah. Maybe we'll get her one of those flags or something. <laughs> but the cargo bike is, look it up, it's awesome. I will. It's like one of those things that you could totally just live with a cargo bike, man, in the right place. You can carry so much stuff on it.
2: Yeah, I've never heard of it. I have a, I mean, I have a little thing on the back of my bike where you yeah, can... Dude, this, is like a pick, this is essentially a, a bicycle pickup truck. Do you have it here?
3: It's in... No, no, I didn't drive it today. It's gotcha. a, It's kind of... A, I mean, it's a bitch to drive if you're not going to, like, load it down. Gotcha. I have my kind of fast bike. My commuter. It's a commuter. I have my commuter.
2: That's what I have? Not my um. hauler. My favorite radio head album is, uh, okay, commuter. <laughs> Anyways, it's
3: funny. I was just listening to the new Radiohead today. Is there a new yeah. Radiohead? Well, I mean, relatively, new. there
2: is. I haven't not followed their career in a very long time.
3: This is this is one of the more accessible of their newer records. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. I guess I'm a kind of a Radiohead fan, but not enough to like eat, drink all the Kool Aid. Like, yeah, a couple of their records. There, I'm just like, whatever, man. I don't, I don't. Smoke I like
2: weed. the idea of them like. Not being super accessible and doing what they want artistically, but I just don't want to listen to it. Yeah,
3: exactly. (laughs) The concept is great, but the product's not always easy to wade
2: through. But I don't like a lot of, like, I just feel like I also don't like a lot of popular music. Like, there's not a lot of bands that size that I like. Oh, yeah, but they're not. Yeah. Like, not because I'm too cool, but just like, I just tend not to like stuff that a lot of other people like.
3: Listening to the Radiohead album is like. it, it's they it, they don't they don't make re- they used to make records i mean it's a fully produced record i mean there's parts of it that have strings and it's obviously like you know just the quality of the recording is like you know how they used to make records you know like all major label records used to be made like this you know and it's like or at least the ones that sounded good that's one thing to listen to it because i guess i've been listening to so much new material and so much indie stuff that's not super high fidelity that you listen to this you're like oh god yeah this is like this is the apex of the art sort of in terms of recording quality
2: so it's good for that it's a good sounding album okay i'll check it out i'll probably get like two songs in <laughs> um smoke a little weed first yeah that would help speaking of smoking weed it's <laughs> a subject i think i don't know I think we talked about it on this podcast. It seems right if I can't remember. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, today on the podcast, one of our favorite guests, uh, Dave Bazan, um, he's been on the podcast a bunch of times. He went on from Pedro the Lion, all of his solo stuff. He came on here with his side project Overseas, who were great. Um, he did the last time he was here he came through with Yuki. They were doing the headphones ten year anniversary. But um he recently a little while ago, put out this album, Blanco, which was, um, a collection of these, uh, his seven inches, he did the seven inch club and compiled them all. And they were so good that he made an album out of it. And yeah. So Dave came by, it was just me and him. We talked about a lot of, I think pretty intense stuff as we usually do. And then we went out and I watched him play and we got drunk and hung out and it was fun. Sweet. So, it sounds like uh, a
3: perfect day. It was great. As Lou Reed would say.
2: It was a good day. Um but yeah, um, if you have never <laughs> seen Dave Bazan before, you should have to go see him. Um check out his website. He also does these amazing living room shows. I've been to all of them in New York. They're amazing. I've made a lot of friends through Dave here in New York, including uh Shay McRae, former going off track guest mm-hmm. um, who you can catch on the TV show Sneaky Pete with um uh Brian Cranston, Giovanni Rubisi. And all, all, all that all happened through uh, Dave Bazan. Well, I met him through Bazan. He didn't hook up the show. But anyways, <laughs> um, I'm going to shut up now. And let's listen to my very fun conversation with Dave Bazan. going up! Well, it's funny about vaping too. Is like it sort of has become like what like society just decides it's not cool. It's like Bluetooth headsets or yeah, something, right. where you're like, "Well, this is actually kind of useful," right? <laughs> but I'm embarrassed to do this for some reason.
0: Well, so for me, the th- the great thing about vaping is that um, since I'm smoking weed, it's it's a little bit of camouflage. So when people see me vaping, they don't think like, "Oh, that dude's smoking marijuana." They think, "Oh, what a douche," and then they don't think about it anymore. And that's what i would prefer rather than like oh dude's getting ripped all the time or whatever right you know. so we
2: talked about this last night a little bit mm-hmm. i feel like we usually talk about drinking a lot yeah we do <laughs> <laughs> and and so i know and you had all these last time maybe a couple
0: times ago i had all these rules all these rules where it was yeah. like you could like on certain days and well the the rules were basically i can't i can't ever drink alone right it can never be my idea in a social situation, like if it can't be like, hey, you guys want to go get a drink? Like I just have to chill out. And then in a <laughs> drinking situation, I have to stay behind the pace car, which my natural tendency is to try to be the pace car without even right. consciously being aware of it. That was just always the role that I ended up being in. That's actually a really good idea. It helped me a lot. In 2014, it reduced my drinking by like 70%, got me hooked on... um soda water, because I would pound soda waters when I was looking for the, there's a resistance to drinking beer, especially if you're kind of pounding beers, that soda water kind of gave me a similar feeling. Um, And then 2015, I kind of went back, but that year, in 2015, um, our dog died in the summer, a really beloved family dog, and uh, we were all grieving in our own kind of separate ways, um... In some senses, and uh, it just hit me. I had asked my wife if I could smoke. Well, so basically, I never got interested in smoking weed until I was married already. Okay. And um, when I brought it up, she kind of flipped out about it. Like, how long ago was this? Like, 15 years ago. Okay, gotcha. So I waited, like, 15 years and just... you know the touring and like every it's it's tough to be in a relationship and just be gone all the time you know it really is like half time a long distance relationship and part of that is like trust and so there was just this thing we that she was really freaked out about un un uh, naturally so and i thought well i can i don't want her to feel anxious about it so i just made a pact with myself like never under any circumstance you know and man i wanted to smoke weed so many times like passing the joint by right. and um but i never did and then last summer uh it just hit me i it's time like uh, i'm ready to smoke weed so i long story short i brought it up to her and she was said okay and uh so since then gradually the drinking just has disappeared it was funny cuz last night you were like so you like you don't you drink less, and I was like, I don't ever drink, and then I had two shots and a glass of <laughs> wine at the bar, and it's not a matter of, like, I can't drink or I shouldn't drink, it's just that I usually don't have any natural interest in it, Yeah. but last night, it's like the crew of dudes who, in New York, we always go out drinking, and so instead of having 10 or 12, like I would in years past, I had three over, yeah. six, you know, five hours or whatever, and so, Well. That felt better.
2: Yeah. I also rarely eat hot dogs in bars, and I think we all broke that rule up. <laughs> night. We really did, with the uh, <laughs> cheese sauce on it. Oh, and, man. So good. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I well, also I would imagine not having beer, like, in your dressing room and stuff cuts it down, because I feel like you're back there so much just doing nothing.
0: Yeah, doing nothing and drinking out of boredom. Yeah. That was a thing. And I, I actually had curbed that, because another basic rule that had been you know, now as kind of 10 years old with drinking is I won't drink or get drunk before the show, which in Pedro days, I was doing that pretty regularly. Right, you know, I was pretty hammered for most of the last couple years of Pedro shows. Um, and now, uh, I, you know, it's, uh, I don't, because I'm not really drinking, that's not an issue. Uh, but now I do, I found that I do smoke before I play. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't an automatic thing either. That kind of happened accidentally when I was playing shows with Yuki, who was here with me last time. Um, he, We were in Colorado, and I had eaten a bunch of edibles during the day, like trying to get high. And uh it, it didn't happen. And uh, so I just kind of gave up on it. And then we were about 20 minutes into the show, and uh, I was doing Q&A, and I said something pretty wacky. And Yuki looked at me, and he was like, whoa. is that that shit starting to kick in right now? And I kind of took stock of my brain. I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, 30 milligrams of pills that I've been, like, stacking up over the last, like, 12 hours is, like, hitting right now. And so I was like, okay, well, here we go. Played the show afterward, and it was so fun. And afterward, I apologized to Yuki, and I said, well, man, so never again, and he was like, well, hold on now. (laughs) That was the best show that we've that we've played on the tour. So I'm not saying get high all the time while you're playing, but let's try it again and, you know, see what's going on. So he kind of like guided me through that because I would get high before playing and then I would ask him afterwards, just like, that felt good to me. Was there anything that I need to be worried about? Was there any banter that was weird or any, you know, changes that I missed that I wasn't tracking with or whatever? And he was like, no, it was like totally, totally great. You were outside of yourself. It was, awesome and so i've slowly been working that way and uh i don't know long term how talking about it now it feels weird because it's like as a kid you always learn like you don't you shouldn't have to do that right like stan gets you know he had to get high every time he played and then he got free of it later in his life and that was heroin and this is weed and that's different but i don't know still kind of figuring that out but it's it's great
2: is it weird living somewhere like cuz it's so strange to me that like the way they treat it in the United States where it's like where you live it's legal but then if you travel somewhere <laughs> else this thing that you can you do you can get a felony
0: you can get a fel- it just seems so strange it's the same country It's in the I feel like it's we're in the growing pains of it and since I've switched basically switched from alcohol to marijuana it's just so clear whether or not I mean, recovery people are going to just cringe like crazy. Whether or not it's a positive thing, ultimately it has been so much more safe and healthy and positive than alcohol that it really does seem silly um, that it's not legal. It just is a—it's an imbalance that is slowly being righted. I think one state at a time, all over the country, hopefully.
2: Yeah, my problem with alcohol, and I—I I toned it down a lot too. Was I would—I always had fun doing it, but then the
0: next day I was like
2: have to apologize right, yeah. like, what did I say what, what did someone like
0: yeah you know what that's I mean that's a thing yeah. yeah and there for me getting real wasted uh, from drinking even if there was no negative thing that happened there was this I almost felt like man you left your soul exposed for like 90 minutes last night and there's, a, there's like a hangover from that yeah. where I just feel like I somehow betrayed myself maybe I've actually said that on here before but and that wasn't like that's just like a small like 5 10% part of like waking up the next day but it was enough where it started to wear on me and when with, when I'm out, out smoking I don't feel that way I feel really connected and
2: yeah um
0: i was describing i you know this is just some armchair bullshit but like it struck me that for me um booze can kind of cover up feelings or just like it just turns all your feelings into these one or two things that you're kind of into. And for me with weed, it opens me up to exploring feelings that are there. Um, and what some people complain about with like getting too paranoid or something like that. That's fun for me. Yeah. Like I, I really lean into that cause I've, I'm dying to get work done like internally, you know, like to figure out what's wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, being high, uh, Puts me in a zone where I'm not judging myself too harshly, and uh, I can kind of just, you know, process shit. So it's been it's been good.
2: I had something happen. Well, this is a while Maybe like six months ago, where I have a friend, and she was like, you know, what you said to me the other night. I've been thinking about it a lot, and <gasps> oh. it was, you're kind of a dick, but I actually think you had a kind of a good point too. Oh. And I was like, what, what, did I what did I say? And apparently, she's really she's a really good looking girl. Yeah, younger successful and i guess she'd broken up with her boyfriend and was complaining about how hard it was to date and i I said something i was like you're you're like pretty so you'll never really know what loneliness is like everyone's always gonna like want to be around you like basically like negating her emotions of loneliness and being like you're hot like you don't even get, get what this is like yeah and she was like you know, like, it was pretty messed up, but she's like, you know, I think a little bit you were right, and it made me feel a little better, and I was like, oh, my God. Janet, oh, wow, like you that's, an, like,
0: that's intense.
2: Yeah, but that sort of figures into sort of your show last night. Yeah. I feel like when you were talking about um, sadness and loneliness being the same thing, which I, I was watching a show last night, and I was, the show was so... How would you describe it? The show
0: last night? Yeah. That, um, I mean, that was one of the best shows I've played. Like, I It was just such a transcendent feeling for me. Um, and I was really, you know, the transition to being like full blown solo guy. Like I've been playing under my own name for a long time, but I've never played Williamsburg solo. Uh,
2: yeah, I was I was kind of surprised. Like I didn't, I never know what to expect because I feel like I've seen you in so many
0: permutations with like yeah. one other guy or four other guys yeah. or two guys. Yeah, this was um, it it was a, it was sort of a realization that a I can't really afford a band. Like it's all it's. It's just money that isn't there, you know? The the pie is the same size whether or not I have a band or not. Right. Um, and on one level that sounds kind of crass, but when you zoom out and realize wife and kids away from my kids for half their life, like I'm trying to figure out how to be home two-thirds of the time instead of just half. And the path to that is basically realizing like, dude, you can't afford other folks to pay him like you right you know you got to go around and take that money and pay your all your bills and put some away for college for the kids and like there's just you know uh so last night was a big milestone in that transition because some for some reason the new york show is a it's a litmus test for me of can i come here and feel great with this audience and these rooms that i that i revere Um, and so, yeah, last night was, it was just such good news for me that like, yeah, I can, I can do this. I can satisfy myself, uh, alone in, in, in this, uh, space and with these folks and, um, with this much pressure, I guess, um, that I felt an enormous amount of pressure to, to do something that I was going to be proud of and, I worked really hard to get into the headspace to do it, and then I did it, and now I feel—I mean, it was just so great. It was Your such a relief. Guitar
2: tone too is so thank so you great. So like much. I felt like it was just like pushing it to like the edge. I was like, this is almost like a metal guitar yeah. sound, but it like it—I feel like it like filled things
0: out a lot. That's cool. Well, I'm still so the I was telling Brandon, I've you know, in my insecurity of playing solo, I've tried to figure out like small ways of making it a little bit more than just a guy strumming a guitar, like adding, I, you know, I tried to do synthesizer stuff and there was all these things that I've spent weeks and weeks working out that in the end just didn't turn out to be that fun or that cool. And so I realized, well, you, you can play guitar and sing and lose yourself doing that. So whatever it is that you can do, where you can get up in front of people and lose yourself in the songs and in the, the thing, then that's what you got to do. And so, that's the guitar, I mean that's the thing that I've got close to ten thousand hours on and i'm I'm not a great guitar player, but i for what i'm doing uh I'm well suited to playing the guitar for that you know and at this point, and so I'm glad that it that it worked and the guitar tone is a big part of you know if it was really guitar tone that I wasn't feeling or couldn't dig into and yeah feel good, then it would have been uh less fun, you know. So, but that that was one of the funnest shows I've I've ever played. It was just insane.
2: So. I agree. But yeah, so what was I I guess what I was saying earlier was yeah, you said at one oh. point sadness and loneliness as you get older. Or sadness and love. And love sadness yeah. and love, excuse are, me.
0: Yeah, as you get older, you start to realize that sadness and love are kind of the same thing that love well that they're kind of they're just so commingled um at a certain point and um I feel like that has to do with you know, long-term relationships, friendships, um, there's always stuff that's unsaid. There's always, like, little pockets of regret that are piling up. And and then they're, you know, 10 years in, you realize, like, oh, I was taking this for granted for a, a portion of the time. And you missed beautiful moments. And there's just all this, um, yeah, there's just all this melancholy that builds up around even our best relationships because... It, it's so difficult to be understood, and there's so much disappointment when you realize that even with your significant other or even with friends that you've had for 20 years, there's still it's still so easy to be misunderstood and to misunderstand one another. And so I feel like the human condition, that we really have to try to stay connected to, to other people and that there's a lot of sadness that flows from... The small failures in doing that and sometimes big failures, you know, when you find yourself feeling real lonely and like, "What? Well, I feel like I've been, been trying so hard to be connected to all these people and I right. just still feel so lonely, you know? And so, yeah, I feel like loneliness in love is so common and it's much more common than I think most people talk about or so that when you're in it, you feel even more Isolated or lonely, rather than realizing that this is actually kind of a universal thing. Um, the guy was talking about it on This American Life the other day, and it con and it really it, like re- reminded me of a lot of things that I've been feeling really strongly. And then I joked about it, but that movie Inside Out kind of t- kind of touches on that a, a little bit. Not exactly the same thing, but joy and sadness being sort of commingled in a in a lot of our core memories as we get older we've the melancholy of approaching death really it starts to color all, all of our our memories you know because as we remember things we're remembering them through the the lens of our current minds you know state of mind and um so yeah and I guess more personally just I've been married for 17 years and I think I'm, I think we're closer to having the relationship that we want than we've ever been, but it's still, it's still, there's just a lot of pain, you know, in, in a, a, any kind of long-term relationship like that. It seems like. To
2: yeah. Me. I, I mean, talking about sort of like looking back on things, like how do you I just feel like, how do you look back on, like, do you have fans at shows now who are like, I love, like, this tooth and nail stuff, yeah. like Cornerstone, blah, blah, is that still Last a night, yeah, every really? night.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been, you know, um, people will say, yeah, I've been listening to you for, there's plenty of people who say, yeah, you know, I just f- found out about you three years ago and I'm, I'm caught up on everything. And, and other people who say, yeah, I bought the holy EP at a Bible bookstore in 1997. And, so wild. You know, and I'm still... yeah. I'm still down, you know, and that's crazy to me because, I, but I am that same kid. Like I, I bought records at Bible bookstores before I was allowed to do anything else. And then all of a sudden now I'm 40 and I'm the person who I am, who's, you know, representing some different viewpoints than I did when I was 17 or whatever. Um, and so it's, it makes sense to me that people would, I've been changing enough where it's not. Whatever lured them in in 1997, is there's something different to it now. It's not just nostalgia or the same thing. So it's cool to feel like I've been on this journey and here's a dude who's been on the journey too or this lady or whatever. And uh, that's fucking amazing.
2: Yeah, that's... I mean, I saw you tweeting something about... Something about like religion oh, no. stuff the other day. And I was like... <laughs> I like, got like, on we, a tear. Yeah, and I was like, I wonder... 'Cause I always assume that you're so sick of talking about religion. I feel like you've been asked
0: about it so much for so long. You would think I am, but I the religion still play it's such a vital dynamic in American politics, for instance, uh but so many other spheres of American life. And now that we're facing like all I mean, just this outpouring of of or it just is the cover is kind of taken off of the fundamental white supremacist kind of racist core of American uh, history and you know economic uh, trends and all you know and uh, and Christianity I feel like knowing what I know about it should be standing up like the abolitionists of old and saying yeah we gotta take care of the, the most marginalized in our society like that's like the good Samaritan like it's just it's cover to cover in that book that that's the role of Christianity or that's the role of somebody who is like Christ. And yet, if evangelicals evangelicals vote, and when they vote, they vote for racist, white supremacist right. candidates and policies and um, without even realizing their privilege and all this stuff. And so my feeling is I see this antidote that's just sitting right there in every one of their coffee tables. Their Bible is right there. With all the data that they need to treat people the way that Jesus would treat them, and they fucking won't do it because of some because Paul said homosexuality is a sin and a list of other things. There's a lot of other bigger themes in that book, um, and so I just get pissed off. I see the antidote and the problem, and or what should be the antidote, but the representatives of that potential antidote are just siding with the devil every every time and so it just it bothers me i mean i mean collectively majority right i tweeted somebody who said i just want people to know that there are believers who have an inclusive social view because of their faith in christianity not despite it and that's what i'm trying to com- communicate to people like look pull your head out of your ass like your religion if you really look into it it's you got to do a 180 to to be in line with it. Um, And so, and that's not because I'm a Christian. It's just because I know about it and I see it and I want the world to be a better place and I'm trying, but they have this tool, man, this eternal tool supposedly that they could use for good. But here we are, you know, the most addicted in debt, um, depressed adult cohort in American history. When we've been a, you know, had Republican conservative ideals dominating politics for the last 30 years. And we're fucked. We're just totally fucked. And so it just makes me mad. Yeah. makes me so, so mad. And these are my people, you know, Uh, that's where I came from. And so I just, so I get on there and I try to, I don't know, I don't want to be mean and I want to be helpful, but I want to communicate to people like, look, you know, we could be on the same team here, according to your book. We should be on the same team. You bring in God's kingdom, me doing social justice. That's the same thing, you know? So why, aren't, why, are, we, why are we not on the same team? Because in my opinion, this may seem arrogant because they're getting it wrong, you know?
2: Well, it's also those kind of things. It's like your beliefs in like religion or politics or stuff become so much of your identity or you they become do. so attached to them that I think it's hard. Like even when someone's talking to me about something I don't agree with, sometimes I'm like, yeah I'm listening to you, but I like I know I'm right and you're wrong, right. but I'll let you have it and I've been trying to do that less and be like well why do why do I think this that's true why do yeah my
0: next door neighbor um is just a f- really great dude. he's like maybe l- late fifties uh, I'm guessing um and he's like you know very uh enthusiastic about guns um and you know very right wing and I listen to him a lot. You know, talking about stuff and I don't know how to navigate it all the time I feel like should I be speaking up whenever he starts using the n-word like I usually say oh man I gotta get going you know And but he's a good hearted dude like so right. many um, people who vote against their interest and again I mean that's a, it's a favorite thing for conservatives to be like oh liberals are so condescending but you guys look you're voting against your interest I mean that's just this is just a fact you know You voted for conservative economic policies, and now we all have less money because the top 1% has tripled their income in the last, you know, 16 years or whatever. Um, And so I'm I'm just done shying away from that. But talking to my neighbor, it's hard to, because he's not going to move. We're at an impasse, you know, the two of us. We live next to each other. We like each other. But if we're both totally honest about our political ideas, like it's going to be a m- pretty major conflict where he, probably he's going to be really mad, you know? Right. And he has guns, which is... He does, but I trust him. I yeah. mean, he, when we moved in, um, you know, we got a couple of kids or we had one kid when we moved in and have another one now, 10 years ago, we moved in and he, he, it was so sweet. He's like, Hey, I got a bunch of new ammunition. And I was just like, Oh word. Like, <laughs> why are you telling me this man? And... <laughs> And he was like, uh, I did some research and I've and I I've got, I kind of restocked all my ammo for the guns that I keep in the house, uh, bullets that won't penetrate the uh, the wall of my house. So if I like freak out someday and just start going crazy, like it won't, you know, it won't shoot into your house or whatever. And I was just like, that is the most thoughtful thing I've ever heard of, man. That's so amazing. That's very sweet. And those, I mean, I really believe that that's the majority of gun owners in yeah. the country but they're also scared because, like him, all their uncles told him, "In your lifetime, they're going to come get your guns." I read this insane
2: article in the New Yorker about gun control mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, they're talking about there was a guy that was going to, the head of the NRA was going to do this child safety thing, and got so many death threats and stuff that he had to step down and wouldn't never gave an interview again. And but now they're saying they have this technology where it's like a ring and you wear it and only you can only shoot the gun if you're if wearing you the ring. ring. Yeah, and other so if a kid picks it up in it the backseat it just won't work. And it's that's like an great. extra like $200
0: or something. Um well that's great. I mean, I think that it, as so to me, and I don't know if I'm right about this, but in thinking about it, it seems like as the baby boomer generation starts to die, that there's such a demographic, there's so much heft to just there's so many boomers um, yeah and so they have a disproportionate sort of say in the political process and i think that as as that generation sort of fades away i think a lot of the gridlock is going to change enough to where there's going to be you know the possibility of movement on sane Measures like you're talking about, where you you can even discuss research right. into gun control, and uh, you know just some measures of stemming, um, you know the the tide, and you know these accidental deaths with kids that that's a no brainer. Like you you got to figure out how to do that, but that isn't the sort of nightly news epidemic that we're dealing with too, which is just crazed, you know, automatic weapon wielding. Folks, and so I don't know. It, that seems like a long process. That's going to require a lot of collecting of data and and trying to really understand liberals. I'm glad that there's opposition to us because I think that we like to meddle in things before we really know what's happening. Sometimes to try to fix the societal problem, and so I'm I'm looking forward to 20 years of just like actual sane evolution of. um thoughtful measures to help prevent gun deaths you know Yeah. but we're not there we can't even have the conversation right now because the one side is just really so in- insane you know yeah
2: it's hard for
0: I mean I of course like I think there should be gun
2: laws but also part of me is like I hate just like the government telling me what yeah. I can and can't do and I just out of theory like obviously this is a real issue but I also That's feel true. like I don't I'm just so inherently distrustful
0: well for for instance like the 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 suggestion that the no fly list is a, is a no gun buy list as well i like the i mean it does freak me out the no fly list is not a it's not a part of our democracy it's it's this extra thing that this power that the government has that is unchecked you know and that's that is dangerous i think i want the government to have enough power to basically tell the private sector you can't be such a bad actor, that's that's how much power I want the government to have. Right. But unchecked power against individual citizens is fascism. I mean, it's really, it's the it's dangerous. It's,
2: I also think that, yeah, and people are like, you know, I think the question too is, like, is flying a right or a privilege? Because it sort right. of seems like it should be, a, like, you sort of... Travel. Be, travel, like being a human being,
0: like... Yeah, travel seems like it would be something fundamental. So, I, they're obviously... It's a it's a slow road to, to this thing that you're that we're doing is having a sane conversation about this issue, and as soon as that's allowed to happen on the national level, it'll be a huge relief.
2: But, um, but don't, I feel like that's just not inherently not the way politics works. Like there's all these weird like games they play, and yeah, then everyone's posturing now. and talking in these like voices you'd never talk, and in front of this podium you'd never stand in front of. Like it seems so. Like the opposite of what having an actual dialogue is like, I agree.
0: I wonder you know, I think that Congress, where a lot of the major gridlock seems to be kind of resting in the United States and emanating from from there it It seems like I've read and heard that it's changed a lot since the mid nineties that when Newt made his big sort of power play to become the Speaker of the House and oust the. Republican speaker that was currently in place that the tone and the divisiveness have really kind of risen exponentially from that point. And so I wonder if when all this gamesmanship and starve the the beast kind of strategy that the Republicans seem to be employing when that fades away and they are rational actors again in the political process, just on a different side policy wise, um, if it's possible for the conversation to, to improve, I I really believe that it is. I don't think that, that the form of government that we have is just totally fucked. I think it's, it's poisoned right now because one side is gaming the system actively. Um, and policy differences, that's just being human, but people who are actually, actually seeing the political process is in fundamentally different terms and, um, Seeing it as in terms of like a, I mean, it's a really a Tanya Harding approach to politics. It's just fucking dirty. And um, so I think as that fades, hopefully with the, if that's something that can, the boomers can kind of take with them. I'd be really grateful for it, you know.
2: Do you follow stuff closely? Because I'm more of like a game seven. Like I'll uh, wait to the end, see how this ends. I can't. I can't.
0: Like. I tr- I try. I'm really fascinated with the Supreme Court. Um, a lot of the podcasts I listen to, like on the media, and um, there's a lot of them that tend to cover the political stuff. Um, see, I'm I'm listening and reading news to that to that end. Um, Probably also having a kid makes,
2: not that I don't care what happens in the world, but right. I'm sort of like,
0: eh, I don't know. <laughs> having a kid does change. Yeah. This does change that. Um, I had a, I mean, I, w- I felt like there wasn't, I didn't understand my place in politics, even theoretically, where I kind of fit in the spectrum for years and years. And then somebody gave me some books after the WTO riots in Seattle. I was like, "What? What is that?" Like, I didn't even know what the WTO was. Yeah. Um, and my buddy's like, "Oh, you got to read these books." And so he gave me like Chomsky and this guy Parenti. I think um, Parenti thinks Chomsky's a, a hack and a sellout. <laughs> to the it's funny how li- like the the gradations of liberalness like it can get really mean to one another obviously bernie and yeah the bernie bros and all that stuff which i love bernie i you know elizabeth warren is really my 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 dude you know like i i want her to be president as soon as possible um and and hillary you know god bless her i i'm rooting for um i'm sure that it's the patriarchy but I don't fully <laughs> I'm not fully on board, but I, I'm I'm gonna vote for her and I'm rooting for. Her. I want her to to experience the the thing that she wants because I think that it'll be good for the country. Um but it's just a matter of if all the sycophants and fucking hangers on around her will allow her to do her
2: right.
3: her
0: job. Um because a woman has had to make different kind of alliances to get where she is in the world than a man has to do to get to that same place in this current day and age. And uh, so that is the patriarchy. I mean, that is really the, um, so yeah, I mean, I do follow, um, I have weird opinions and I spew them occasionally.
2: (laughs) Do you get asked about that stuff a lot during your Q and A's? Sometimes, but right
0: now people don't, I mean, people are joke. People will bring up Trump just as a, as like a punchline. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes I'll launch into it. You know, but it has more to do with just, there's a basic decency that we've started to erode with people, you know, where, you know, there's people defending that guy Brock for boning that uh, half dead unconscious girl behind a dumpster. Like, you can't defend that shit. Right. He's not, that's, it's just like a fun, it's 20 years ago, it's not even a question uh, in my, well, that's not true. I guess that kid, we would have never heard about it 20 years ago, maybe. Yeah. That's the other part about it. Yeah, that's weird. Cause there are some cultures, I, I just grew up in a place where that it just would never, you, it would never occur to you to treat a woman that way, you know? And so that's what I'm thinking. Like my old timey values when I was a kid, there was never a question about that kind of shit. But now it seems like there is in s- sectors that I don't know. It just, it seems weird to me that people would defend that. And, and 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 all kind of shades of, you know, this men's rights bullshit. I mean, it's just, it's just sick. <laughs> so.
2: Well, I mean, I think it's sort of what you're saying about there being progress, but it being so slow kind mm-hmm. of with politics and gun laws. I mean, and as this sort of baby boomer generation comes up, I mean, to me, do you see a parallel with that, with religion? Because I feel like, you know, my parents were sort of religious, but their generation was, their parents were. I don't know anyone that goes to temple or church, maybe yeah. a couple people. Right. I haven't been to temple in 20 years. Like, yeah. Do you think that's also one of those things where sort of... It's changing, yeah. yeah. Um, somebody
0: was uh, telling me, maybe from a Barna, uh, Barna research group, is like a Christian uh, statistics collecting group and they so they collect a lot of statistics about the church and changing demographics and what they're showing is that yeah, people are the evangelical church is hemorrhaging attendees. Um and so
2: it's like people that have AOL where it's like they were like they could keep all those subscribers that were super old but they yeah. were dying and people are like, I don't have to pay twenty dollars a month of an email address. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just gonna get Earthlink and it's yeah, free or whatever. Totally. Um
0: Yeah, yeah I mean the um It's just, it's, it seems like the, the United States is on the verge of maybe being categorized like some, you know, European countries and that it's like almost post-Christian in a way. And that that's a hard thing for Christians to hear. Um, but at the same time, as I was saying earlier, like, look, you guys, I mean, you really have been doing it wrong. Um, and there's a way to do Christianity if you believe that is, that looks different. And that feels different. It's not as divisive. It's not as confused about fundamental good in the world. Um, And so I think that hopefully what will happen is that a different kind of Christianity, a different kind of religious tradition or an addendum or an evolution of that religious tradition, which is the one that I know the best and I feel like has a, a disproportionate amount of power in U.S. politics, Um, I think it can mature. I think it can grow um, and still be Christianity. And so hopefully this transition is one where the bad Christianity, the divisive Jerry Falwell, um, you know, uh, fucking Rush Limbaugh Christianity will just disappear totally and it'll be a historical kind of anomaly Um, and it'll be replaced with people who just truly devote their lives to loving other people and to, to being salt and light. And, um, so that's what I hope is happening. I see it happening. I see people leaving Christianity and then realizing like, I'm not all the way out. I'm not all the way in that. There's this, this gray area that everybody is now allowed to exist in. Even me, like I left Christianity and I've kind of like the pendulum has swung back to where I'm not a Christian, not even close, but I care and I love Christians and I can talk to them. And I feel like I can have a dialogue that's not all anger and defensiveness, but that's constructive and so to me, I see an evolution, which means there's a lot of people in Christianity who don't have any business there because they don't believe it's just a club. And so as those people are freed up to just be themselves, right. then it's going to look like people leaving Christianity. But they were never there anyways, you
2: know. What? I mean, so you have a new record. I do. <laughs> uh, and I feel like uh, these kinds of things that we talked about today like, are so prevalent in the themes on on, your on branches and or strange negotiations. Totally, this yeah. record not as much I feel like, or maybe not as
0: directly. Yeah, at- it, yeah, almost none. It, only ever in a way that it affects me personally and my family. It's really a. It's really a. It's really me and like f- three people that the record is about. In a way, I mean, just like in hindsight, yeah, <laughs> it's a much more personal record
2: how did that i mean do you think that had to do with the fact it was written as the singles kind of sporadically or maybe could you maybe just ex-
0: people might not totally yeah um so uh starting in 2015 in the s- summer i put out a uh, bizarre monthly volume one which was two songs on the first of every month for five months and then i did that again was on monthly volume 2 and I was really writing those songs in real time every month um, so that um, whereas lyrics are usually the the most time consuming part, they take days and days and weeks sometimes I didn't have days and days and weeks I had usually one day, maybe two to write the lyrics for these songs and so the lyrics just came out a lot quicker and in because of that there, was a lot, there were a lot more instances where I just didn't know what the lyrics meant. I knew I liked them. I liked the way the words worked. It seemed great to me, but I only later realized what they meant. And so in that way, this record was more of a discovery process than even the last couple of records, which I try to write and do things as a discovery process, like something along those lines where I make something and I... I know that I like it. I've made choices. I can, my gut's telling me yes, but I don't know why. And later on, I find out, oh, this is about that or this is about the other thing. With Blanco and all the Bazan Monthly stuff, it was just sort of journaling. I mean, I, d- I wasn't judging it. I didn't know what it was in most cases. It's just like, okay, my gut says yes. This is good. So now it's time to put it out. And I really took a lot from, I heard Lauren on, uh, Lorne Michaels on, uh, well, here's the thing with Alec Baldwin. And he was saying the classic line, look, we, we don't put the show on because we're ready. We put the show on cause it's 1130 on right. Saturday night. Like, and so that was the whole monthly thing. I think I might've said this in here before that it was to make something great, you need a little bit of talent, a lot of hunger, and not enough time. I think I might have heard that on that Lauren Michaels interview too. Maybe not, though. And so that was what the monthly thing was kind of about. And so it yielded this record that even when we put the songs together on Blanco, I wasn't even thinking about the themes of the songs. I, I didn't, I hadn't taken stock of them. I wasn't fully hip to what they were specifically. We just made a track listing based on gut and feeling and then now that it's all done there's a strong thematic arc and it it's all about one thing. And, but I didn't know that um, and now I'm really glad. So it snuck up on me. It was a self-discovery thing and it was um, I don't know if, if I would have deliberately written about these Feelings if I had, yeah, cho- I don't think I would have chosen to do it.
2: Was there like, was there a moment where you're like, oh, I got to start writing another Bazan record? And then you're like, oh, wait, I have like 12 or 10 songs that I've already written this year. This kind of could just be a record too.
0: I, oh, yeah. Um, you mean with Blanco? With Blanco, yeah. Yeah. We tried. So I, I started writing, uh, a new record because I thought I was just going to be 10 new songs. And then as I started doing that, um, I thought I just started feeling ripped off. Like I made these 20 jams on this bl- Blanco thing and I and I have to go back to the drawing board before I can go out and do a big tour again. And right, like, right. on that tour, I pictured myself every night, people saying, oh, I love the new record. And I would say, I'm sure I would be like, have you heard the monthly songs? I love them so much. And I'm sure I'd be wanting to play the monthly songs. And, you know, so I decided to, honor that work that I did by putting it out on a record that gets, a record just gets more attention. Totally. You know, more press and you get to go play music hall of Williamsburg and, you know, shit like that. Whereas if, uh, on the monthly stuff we played a, you know, throne a couple of times and that was a tremendous experience. But, I want to go around and play the, the big spots.
2: Totally. I can, you know. Well, that's the thing for your fan base. It makes sense. Like, I feel like with the house shows, like, I feel like you don't have a lot of casual design fans. Yeah, Like, I feel like right. either you're in or you are <laughs> yeah. don't care. Or you're way out. <laughs> yeah. You're way out. Yes, yeah, so I can't imagine being like, well, I have this monthly thing and being like, eh, I'm good. I'm
0: good with an album every <laughs> three years or whatever. Yeah, that's, well, but part of the thing is that there are, I think it is true that you're either in or you're out, but communication is so splintered these days that even people who are in don't get the memo unless you put out a record and it's on all those outlets at once. Bazan's got a new record. Bazan's got a new record. It's like a blast that you have to pay, you know, $10,000 for or whatever the amount of money is between publicity and, and radio and, um, you know, digital shit. Um, and so that's what I that's what I wanted for these songs is for them to get. The other thing too is that once I started playing the songs and, re, and once I discovered what the themes were, it should work that when I go up on stage that the songs that I'm playing from the new record make it so that the inside of my head and the outside are the same. I'm singing, I'm representing exactly what's going on inside. And if you make a record that's really a, a part of you, then you'll do that. And so that's another perk of these shows is that I get to play these songs from the record that that's exactly how I'm feeling right now, you know? And that's that's great. Uh, that's, a, that's just a great thing to get to do. So. Totally.
2: I had a question from uh, my friend Nada. Hi, Nada. Hi, Nada. We're friends on uh, Instagram, and she had some really good questions, but she wanted to know, she said Blanco Sounds more intimate, more relational and contracts with your previous albums, which seem more macro slash societal. And she wonders what inspired that. I don't know totally what that means, but it sounds very smart.
0: (laughs) Um, I think that's true. Um, branches is definitely about, it's, it's a personal record in a way, but it's about the, the big topic of religion and how, uh, and relating to the, the, the God of the Christian tradition, um and then strange negotiations is about politics to some degree, and yeah bigger bigger questions that are sort of to to i'm speaking to uh, the outside I'm speaking to people outside of my my house in a way, and blanco is it is more intimate it's more vulnerable um it's not societal woes or like she's saying, macro kind of woes that I'm talking about. It's just it's me and you know my immediate surroundings um, that is being sort of mined and um and there's a lot of painful feelings in the record that I'm I'm processing. So it's not like what the fuck is wrong with society or I can't deal with this aspect of society or whatever society get your shit together or whatever it's like i've got a lot of pain from whatever it is and i'm and i need to i need to process it and i need to to understand it and to sing about it and to try to you know help solve some of it and that so that's what the record feels like more to me um it's a little bit more vague i think than The last couple of records but that allows it to be more personal in a way because if if it was as personal as it is and as specific as the last couple of records it would be not fun to listen to i don't think (laughs) i mean it's already pretty pretty dark but um i think because it's vague it gives people a a chance to sort of like get into the feeling of it first without having to unpack the lyrics because they're not quite so in your face maybe
2: Definitely. I mean, one thing, I went last time with my friend Nick, and he was like, dude, I." he's like, I can't believe how like, impressive that was for just a dude standing up there with a guitar to like sort of control the room like that, and people be so cool. into it, and it was so quiet. I mean, like, I guess, do you feel like you get something out of making yourself vulnerable? Because it seems like that's the direction you're moving. It's like from a band, and now it's just you standing there, and now it's just you sing songs about your family right. by yourself.
0: Yeah. Like, I think so. I mean, I think slowly i have been well yeah over time you get turned on to this idea of like what is performance i remember hearing tom york talk about singing and he was saying some like mumbo jumbo about well it's not really about the technique it's just sort of about just being a hundred percent there doing the thing and like opening yourself up and i remember reading that thing and like what i that doesn't make, i don't understand what he's saying and then hear gary Shanling on pete holmes talk about getting the tonight show three years into his sort of stand-up career what a terrifying thing that was and how he said the only way that i knew i could do it was to just put away my ego and just become one with the tonight show and he did it and it was it's a historically significant thing i mean it, it it launched his career you know And so I start, I'm thinking more and more like last night, I'm my, the whole point was like, I got to go up there and just open up as much as I can. And I don't even know what that means. I mean, people are like, well, you know, what does that mean? Open up. And it's just like, no fear is not, I mean, I just, you just get rid of all those, those feelings of doubt and just know like the way that i can honor this these people and this opportunity is just to put everything i can out there and i feel that way more and more about records and yeah just trying to i just yeah what's why why be any other way i guess and why have i sort of played it safe in some ways all these years that it's time to yeah that's the takeaway from last night's show like it shouldn't work me looking like i do being up on with an electric guitar playing, but I just really commit to it now in a way that I think draws people. It makes people feel safe to like, okay, I can, I can put away the, this, the, um, I'm allowed to feel the crazy feelings. I feel, you know, I'm allowed to feel the, the, the low feelings I feel. I'm allowed to feel how I feel. Um, and that's, that's, i just so glad that I got to do that. And I hope I get to do it tonight.
2: I mean, I, I guess sort of to bring things kind of full circle mm-hmm. and wrap it up, like what what would you say is the difference between, because I feel like what you're talking about sort of opening up, being vulnerable, is there's a way to do that with drinking where you do it in a way that's kind of like, not gr- seedy, but like... It's kind of cool or It's kind of cooler, but yeah. it's also like there's like a weird... It's not that it's not authentic, but there's like a weird guilt or like a shame that comes with it. When you're like, what did I do? Uh Whereas like what you're talking about seems a much more like kind of pure or like it's
0: coming from, I don't know, seems like a more constructive place. That's what it's trying to be. I mean, I, I just am realizing like that so much of the drag in my life that has hurt my relationship with my wife or just taken up so much bandwidth that it has had negative effects on my career and my family and, you know, myself, um, that I don't, um, sorry, uh, maybe you can edit this to say that question again.
2: I guess I was saying, um, what, what, I guess like for you personally, what is the difference between opening up with, with alcohol or opening oh, up right. just an artistic right.
0: um, So th- with all of the different things that I'm trying to balance with, with family and in um, the job and doing the job effectively, like there's an efficiency that you kind of have to hit doing any job that's strenuous, um, but touring and any job like it that you can get burned out easily, which obviously, pe- I mean, it's it's a really common thing. There's an efficiency that, You kind of have to find, and for me, I've been looking for that because there's a lot of emotional pain. I wrote about it on the whole record. The record is about a lot of the pain that's caused from, it's just basically like, it's as though I'm not good at budgeting money, but it's, I'm not good at budgeting my life. You know, and there's a lot of fallout from that, and a lot of pain that's caused from that. And so, I've been motivated to look for a way to, to kind of find balance and equilibrium. Um, and the the thing that has presented itself is this thing of just be open all the way. Like, what you have the opportunity to be in front of these people and make, make something. Uh, Every time a musical show is happening, there's the possibility of a transcendent kind of feeling for the performer and some of the audience. And so I just, my feeling now is just like, how do I do that? I just want to do that. Um, And being open and vulnerable and not in denial or delusion about um, myself or my career or like... Um, yeah, not to, no false, no false floors, you know, just like the, I just, just, I needed to be totally real, totally honest with myself about every aspect of it and then go out in front of people and just open up and, and show, that's the thing. Like when I was saying last night, like love and sadness, as you get older, you realize that they're, they're really the same thing in a lot of, a lot of ways. That's just a way of like, that's what I'm feeling. That's what, that's what's going on inside my body. And so without belaboring the point at the show and making it about talking, I want to give a context for like, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm like trying, I want everybody to, you know, it's just like a, it's just like a great big hug where you're not worried about, am I, am I touching this other person's chest it's just like i'm a human they're a human and we're communicating our need for one another and our need for harmony and these things and to me that's what playing shows can be about and now that's what it is about and i've it's taken me a while to get there because there's been a lot of other distractions and my insecurity causes me to think oh the solution to the problem is i need another distortion pedal or a, a delay pedal with programmable presets. That's the difference between the good show and the bad show. And that's just all horseshit. The difference between the good show and the bad show is you show up and you leave everything there, you know, on stage. And so now I know that more. I don't know why I didn't know that. Before. <laughs> I I did know that, I think, but I just was distracted by everything else. So that's one benefit of being solo now is that I back myself up against a cliff. I had to find the thing that I was missing, and uh, I'm I'm on the verge, I think, of doing that. So.
2: That's cool. I feel like most people maybe don't get to do that or don't
0: realize that's an option. Or yeah, I mean, I've been chasing it for a long time, and man, it it's been a painful. I mean, it really the the amount of doubt and the kind of crushing doubt that comes as you're trying to do this weird job you know that doesn't seem all that valid sometimes to have a a moment of success like last night um and whatever there was 350 heads there not the biggest new york show i've had by far like kind of not a success in some ways according to certain industry metrics or whatever but for me and my arc it's a show i'll remember forever you know my whole my whole life
2: All right. Nice. Yes. Uh, You guys
3: are good together.
2: I love... Any excuse to talk to Dave is amazing for me. Thank you so much to Dave for coming by. Thank you to Dave's manager, Bob, for once again setting this up. Um, Blanco is available now. You should buy it. You should buy all Dave's albums. If you don't, you have bad taste in music. Um, Go see him. Go see him. He's on tour. Um, Check out the living room shows or check out the club shows. Uh, Last time I saw him, it was... On this tour, it was him solo with an electric guitar, which I had never seen before. And it was great. Usually, it's his solo stuff. He does in the living room with acoustic, but I've seen him in pretty much every permutation just nice. synth, synth, and guitar, full band, two guys, drums, no drums. And it's all about the songs. His songs are just so great. They translate no matter. Yeah. No matter what he's doing. So, um, yeah. Check out Dave Bazan if you like this podcast. Check out our old episodes with Dave. Um, I think we have like probably three or four That's at true. this point. If this is
3: your first Dave Bazan yeah. going off track, you can go back and hear some more.
2: They're all good. All The other ones I think involve Steven and other people, and uh, those are also great. Um, and yeah, you can donate to us online to pay for our server costs. You can tweet at us. You can like us on Facebook, I think. But maybe just tell your friends about it. If you like this podcast, just
3: spread it around man
2: yeah we're not good at marketing it so just (laughs) word of mouth it's good that's how you know yes sir Um, so yeah thanks for listening and yeah we'll be back next week with another another podcast okay bye